On this episode of the Breaking the Game Show, I am joined by Jurgen Coney as my special co-host for today, and we are joined by Michael Consacio, who is a basketball historian. We talk about some of his experiences with some of the game's greatest players. We talk about how the game is differed between then and now. It's not a hate session. Highly encourage you to tune into that part. And then we close with our pass or shoot segment. You're not going to want to miss this episode. Probably one of the best shows I have ever been a part of. Not even exaggerating. And we'll be right back to give it to you after this break. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Break in the Game show. I'm Stephen Gillespie, and joining me is regular friend of the show. He's going to be my co-host today, and that is Jurgen Coney. What's going on, Jurg? Nothing much, nothing much. Uh, gl- glad to be on again. Uh, Austin, uh, You we're going to get into this, Stephen, but Austin unable to be on the show tonight for emergency reasons. Uh, Austin, obviously, hope everything is well, uh, and uh, I'm going to do the best I can to fill in his shoes. Yeah, I mean, if I love Austin, love him to death. And again, you know, prayers up for him and his family know that he's got stuff going on. He's okay, like nothing, nothing imminent or grave or anything about a situation, but um, definitely miss him tonight. But Jerg, man, like if couldn't have him, you're the next man up. You're the guy that I want. So, you know, obviously thrilled to have you tonight. Appreciate it. All right, Jerg. Well, tonight we have a very special guest. Uh, best way I can describe him is just an overall basketball historian, and that is Mr. Michael Consacio. Michael, thank you so much for joining us tonight. How are you doing? I'm doing rather well. Thank you guys for having me. Oh, pleasure is ours, right, Jerg? Oh, absolutely. I, I can't wait. The second you said basketball historian, Stephen, I got excited. <laughs> yeah, I mean, l- listen, everybody's talking about, you know, what happened with LeBron James down in Atlanta. Everybody's talking about, you know, Jared Dudley's new book and Darko Milicic slamming Rudy Gobert along with everybody else about his contract. I just think it would be cool just to take a step back and talk about basically some of the the legends of the game, some who some viewers and listeners right now on um, the nothing but net channel on dash radio may not be super familiar with. So Michael, uh, you you've explained to Austin and myself that you've had some, some pretty unique experiences with some of the legends in today's game. And uh, when you were giving us this list of players, you kind of left it at a, an etc. part. And some of those etc. players included Patrick Ewing. So I was more than thrilled to have you on the show to talk about, you know, some of the greats that you've had a uh, playing experience with and, you know, coaching and viewing experience with as well, right? So just before we get going, why don't you kind of introduce yourself a little bit and then uh, let the let the audience know a little bit more about you. All right. Well, um, I went to high school, uh, Bishop Stang High School in uh, North Dartmouth, Massachusetts. I gravitated toward Framingham State University, uh, where I was capping. <clears throat> uh, played four years. Um, I was number three in the nation in uh, 1980, I believe. I played on a team with a guy who led the nation in scoring. His name was Markman Valkenberg, who ended up trying out with the Celtics, but he didn't make it. I then gravitated to the world of officiating, and I became a high school official, a college official. And um, uh, right now, what I'm doing right now presently is um, I am doing a lot of stuff in the community with a lot of basketball shootouts, which I've been doing now for approximately over 40 years. 
Uh, we have an outstanding pool of talent, and I primarily uh, am involved with that. I'm retired from the Department of Corrections after 30 years. Um, and um, I've been fortunate to have the friends that I have, which have given me the access to uh, a lot of the plays that we'll be talking about. So I've been very blessed. Yeah, it certainly sounds that way, right, Jerry? Like you hear all of those things. Like that—that's a—that's a dream for just so many people in of itself. Just just that part alone, right? Absolutely. And him saying that he played uh, with a player in high school that you know at, could have made the Celtics potentially. Like that—that that in and of itself, a lot of people don't get to experience. Then go a step beyond that—that that you end up meeting and working with some of the game's greats. That—that's awesome. Yeah. Yes, it, 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 I've been blessed. I've been I've been very fortunate. And uh, um, that's kind of what I like to do now is, is share my stories uh, and my experiences because they are unique, uh, especially someone coming from a small city in New Bedford, Mass. And to, to experience what I've experienced is pretty special, if you ask me. Absolutely. And we're more than thrilled to have you on here. So, Michael, just that's just tip of the iceberg. Let's kind of chisel away a little bit at some of your experiences okay. with some of these legends that you have here. So one of just the, the small names that you mentioned to us that you have experience with is uh, Tiny Nate Archibald. So what's what's kind of your history with Nate there? This is a good one. You guys are going to love this one. Um, uh, I'm again, <laughs> again, back in the day, uh, uh, what happened was the Boston Celtics, what they were doing back in the day is they were um, – developing courts in the urban areas, uh, Boston area and, and surrounding areas. And they happened to come to New Bedford and they had Nay Archibald who was uh, uh, there to uh, do the honorary, um, uh, basically helping out with the courts and, uh, you know, establishing and honoring the court itself. It was called United Front. I was about 13 or 14 years old to be specific. And um, what he did was he grabbed about six of us and uh, we got the opportunity to play against him one-on-one. -on -one. I scored against him, matter of fact. We got the, yes, we got the opportunity to play against him. And uh, the, here's a unique story. <clears throat> I also um, am a uh, color commentator. And I used to work uh, with the Virgo Basketball Association. And uh, during halftime, what I would do is I would give trivia questions. And uh, Steve Berger, who is the guy who uh, owns the BBA, at the time, he came up to me and said, Mike, you know who's coming today? I said, who? He said, Nate Archibald. I said, what? <laughs> he said, yeah, Nate Archibald will be here. Now, mind you, again, I give trivia questions. So I'm, I'm expecting him to come, but I really wasn't. I really wasn't sure. So I'm giving out all his statistics, 34 points a game, let the league and assist and score in the same year, the whole, the whole nine yards. And then I turned my head. And I look, and in come, in the, entering the gymnasium is Nate Archibald. Hmm. And he's, he's coaching a team. Well, he was um, with a, a friend of his was coaching a team, Lincoln, out of New York City. And Nate um, came in, the, in the, the gymnasium, and I walked up to him. I said, Mr. Archibald, I know you don't know who I am, but do you remember coming down uh, to New Bedford and playing uh, at a park called the United Front? And he looked at me, he turned and looked at me, and then he goes, that was over 40 years ago. So he didn't remember me, mm -hmm. but he remembered the situation. Now, what I did being the person that I am, he also had a guy uh, that was with him who was um, an ABA great. So I'm giving my uh, trivia questions. And the one I gave, I would like to see if you guys could get this one. Oh, I gave a trivia question was, 
who is the only player to win the high school, NCAA, ABA, NBA, and Olympic gold medal? Anyway, that's the question I gave. So he's sitting in the stands after we took pictures and everything. And he's sitting in the stands. And the guy, like I said, was an ABA legend. He didn't even know the answer. Mm. So that was, that was kind of unique. It was great uh, that, uh, you know, he still remembered coming down to New Bedford and, uh, you know, giving us the, the, the us kids a, a thrill that we would never forget. That was awesome, by the way. Yeah, I mean, just right. wow. I mean, just being able to put up a bucket over a guy like Nate Archibald had to be an incredible feeling, Michael. It, 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 it sure was. It was it was phenomenal. And again, I, I was blessed for that one. That was that was a great one. That was that was really special. So are you going to tell us the answer? Uh, <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> I, want, I want people to come in and chime in and see if they have the answer. I want to see if people might try to get that one. But anyway, yeah, that was the question. That was one of my many questions that I used to give uh, because prior to Google and LinkedIn and all that stuff, I was the trivia king. You know what I mean? So I used to do all that stuff way back in the day. But, you know, everybody can look up Google and LinkedIn now that kind of, you know, put me out of there. But, uh, yeah, I used to love giving those trivia questions. I got so many. You have no idea. But that, that's why I used to like to do quite a bit. That's, I mean, wow. <laughs> Jerg, what do you think? Do you got an answer for that? Uh, I mean, there, there's only one <laughs> name that, that's in my head. I, I don't think this is the right answer, but this is just the first name that pops in my head when it comes to the ABA. Uh, I, my only question is if he won a championship in the ABA, that's my only issue. Uh, Dr. J? <laughs> that's, my, that's my first guess. Uh, Dr. J never played in Olympic. He never won NCAA. That, that that was my thing. I, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure on that part either. I wow. Okay, I'm gonna try to tumble some more. I'm gonna try to tumble some more names around my head. All okay. right. So that's your Nate Archibald story. Another one of the the you know legends of the game that you have an experience with is Dr. J. Uh, Julius Irving. Definitely curious to see what your experience with him was. Okay, this this probably I kind of want to say that for last, but uh, well, we uh, can that, we can do that if you like. You have uh, Patrick yeah. Ewing. Do would you rather go Patrick Ewing now? Yes, sure. Um, what happened was after my freshman year at Framingham State, I was still of age to play in the All Star games uh, around the area, and we happened to play. We went through, got to the finals, and we ended up playing against uh, Cambridge Ringer Land, and they had a guy by the name of uh, Patrick Ewing. Uh, there was another guy on that team named Billy Ewing, and, and I'll name names you guys probably won't be familiar with. But anyway, he had, his cousin was name was Billy Ewing. He was about six foot eight, left hand. Um, we played against um, Pat Ewing. He was a sophomore in high school. We had a guy uh, that played on the, my alma mater high school, uh, Bishop Stang. His name was Pedro De La Cruz. He was about six foot eight, and uh, <clears throat> the coach that used to coach Dr. J, name was Ray Wilson, was there scouting Pedro De La Cruz. And we had a guy on my college team. We both were playing in that game. His name was Tony DePina. Anyway, Pedro de la Cruz got hurt within the first three minutes of the game. And uh, Tony DePina ended up going and scoring 34 points against Pat Ewing. And um, ended up getting a full ride to UMass Amherst along with Pedro de la Cruz. And uh, Pat Ewing used to come down when he was a lot younger. Uh, here in New Bedford uh, at the recreation department. And he used to play. And he was really raw. Uh, Pat Ewing, at that time, he was he really didn't speak the language really well at that time, uh, coming from Jamaica. Um, mm -hmm. He was really quiet, shy, and um, it was uh, funny, too, because uh, uh, the year after, on my birthday, 
Uh, we was at a place called Nine Lansdowne. And this is kind of strange. But anyway, he walked into this place called Nine Lansdowne. And I'll never forget what he had on. He had a red shirt, jeans, and black shoes. I remember going into the bathroom. And uh, he definitely remembered me. And then we carried on a pretty good friendship. Uh, I know Pat very well since he was a kid. And uh, he's a good, good guy. I mean, again, very shy, very quiet, which a lot of people probably don't really know. But uh, I'm going way back, way, way back. But he was a, uh, you could tell he was, again, he was raw. He was real thin. He was seven foot. Um, he was awkward at that time. And uh, obviously he had an outstanding career. So he was seven foot. You said 16 years old. Exactly. Oh, my goodness. I, yeah. Long, thin arms, long, thin legs. Again, he didn't grow into his body at that time. So he's real thin at that time. And uh, <clears throat> the guy that played on that team uh, that I'm, uh, I'm talking about, his name is, <clears throat> excuse me, mm-hmm. his name is Kyle Hobbs, who ended up playing at UConn and is coaching uh, Rutgers right now. Uh, but, yeah, uh, Pat Ewing, uh, again, great guy, great guy. Absolutely. So, wow, okay. So you're playing against Patrick Ewing. Has at this point has anyone given him any scholarship opportunities yet? Would did did, it, did they go as young as 16 back then for, for well, recruiting? Uh, well, of course you could. But what happened was uh, the coach uh, of Cambridge Vigilant that team uh, at that time was a guy by the name of Mike Jarvis. <clears throat> Mike, Mike Jarvis ended up coaching uh, at BU, and. Uh, uh, he had ties with John Thompson, obviously. Mm-hmm. So John Thompson obviously had a, you know, had an in in order sure. to get, uh, and then also the fact that uh, John Thompson really, you know, at that even at that time he was really about trying to grow the individual, and he knew that Pat had uh, some uh, academic uh, issues, of course, you know, coming from a new uh, a new place, sure. and him being quiet and shy, uh, and he, uh, Coach Jarvis felt that. John Thompson would be the best person for him. And um, it worked out pretty well, I would think, huh? <laughs> right. I mean, John Thompson's a heck of a, you know, a heck of a coach. And, you know, the rest is history on Patrick, Patrick Ewing's career. You know, we have a lot of uh, the network that we're a part of, Michael. We have a lot of Nick fans. So when you when I found out that you have a, uh, you know, a history with, with Patrick Ewing, I, I had to ask that question because I know that there's going to be a lot of folks that I work with that, that love Patrick Ewing. Yeah, definitely. I, I definitely that that's my guy. Awesome. Yeah, and it's cool to see that it's coming full circle now, right? With him coaching, it it, it sure is. Um, and he has learned from you know his 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 role model, and uh, he's paying it forward. You know what I mean? And and what's even more unique, which is really funny too, guys, is that one of my best friends in the world is Dave Lado, who is the head coach of DePaul, mm-hmm. and Dave Lado. And Pat Ewing used to go at it as players, and now they go at it as coach in the Big East. So they coach against each other in the Big East. So it's kind of brings back a lot of fond memories. You know what I mean? It's pretty interesting. Absolutely, absolutely. So I mean, you stay in the game long enough, you you kind of live to see that full life cycle take place. Is what it what it sounds like when you make it up. You know, as becoming a an NBA legend and then getting into the coaching ranks. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Jerry, do you got any Patrick Ewing questions? Uh, just a quick one in, in regards, actually, to uh, mentioning now him being the head coach at Georgetown. Uh, if you ever got to have a conversation with him or at least what you know about him, like how much did it really mean to him to end up becoming the coach of Georgetown, uh, paying homage to the man that helped him so much in John Thompson and now wanting to do the same thing uh, in that position? 
Oh no. We seem to have, we seem to have lost our guest. All right, so we're going to have to adapt and roll here on the fly then, right. Jurgen. So yeah. we learned a little bit about Patrick Ewing. We learned a little bit about Nate Archibald. We have that trivia question. One guy that I was thinking about throwing out there was Moses Malone. That was another Ooh. one of the guys that I was kind of curious to see if that would be, you know, another guy that fit all those bills that he had there. That, that could be it. I think that that's a strong chance because NBA, he definitely wanted high school Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure he won in college. I think he had to back in the day with Biggs dominating in the NCAA. Mm-hmm. My, uh, ABA. Uh, my only question is the ABA and the Olympic gold part. Like, it's just ABA is my lack of historical uh, knowledge with the ABA. I know, I know a good chunk, but in terms of remembering champions off the top of my head, that that's where I struggled with it. Yeah, and that's where I'm trying to. I was trying to, you know, kind of generate names that I knew had had that experience in the ABA. So that's why I'm thinking Moses Malone. So if we get if we get him back, I definitely want to pose that question to him. But other than that, Jerry, what, what we can do now is, um, oh, we've regained our guest here, Michael. Sorry about that. Technology is strange. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> no, we totally get it. We, we kind of went, we kind of talked a little bit about your trivia question. I'm curious to see, is it Moses Malone? I never Moses Malone. I never played. Uh, uh, never had Olympic gold medal. And Moses Malone came out of high school. Never went to college. That, that's oh, that's right. right. That's right. Ah. Jeez, you're kicking our butts, Michael. Yeah. <laughs> that's my intention, guys. Oh, I, I understand. <laughs> you're making us better. A lot of people would be upset about that, but not us, man. We we love we love the knowledge of the game, and definitely not appreciate much. the school that you're bringing to us. I I appreciate you guys. You guys have a great show. Oh, that that means a lot, Michael, especially with everything that we're learning about you. The fact that you enjoy our show, that that speaks volumes to, you know, just how humble that that I am just to even have you on the show. So, uh, Michael, the last the last person that I want to ask you about last player before we get into some other questions that we have for you is that is Dr. J. So this would be the last player specifically that we ask you about. So dying to know what your experience with Dr. J is like. (laughs) Okay, I don't know if you guys are probably too young, but uh, there was a, a work stoppage, an NBA, uh, ABA work stoppage, <clears throat> excuse me, in 1976. Um, there was a lockout, and uh, the NBA wanted to draft four teams from the ABA. Uh, the Denver Nuggets, San Antonio Spurs, <clears throat> and uh, two, uh, two other teams, uh, I can't recall off the top of my head. But anyway, uh, so there was uh, a lull in time. There was a guy by the name of Tommy Lopes who happened to um, be at UMass Amherst with Dr. J. And um, the powers that be invited Dr. J to come and do a clinic at New Bedford High School. And uh, I remember reading about him, you know, in Sports Illustrated or, you know, hearing stories about him, but it was more of a, a fantasy as opposed to a reality. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> basically what happened was um, I said, well, I got to go see this guy. And sure enough, um, 5,000 people at New Bedford High School. Uh, Dr. J walks in. He had, again, I remember this vividly. Had a gray top, gray pants, and white Converse sneakers. <clears throat> and he walked in and he had a ball. And uh, he specifically, which I kind of, I, I believe it now, but at that time, I really wasn't seeing it. But what he did was he stressed fundamentals. What he did was 
he talked about all the fundamentals and people went there to go see him dunk and do all this stuff. But what he, what he stressed was the fundamentals. And he said, you know, I may make it look easy, but I had to work at it. I had to really, really work at what I did. And he wanted to stress about, you know, going to school and um, stressing the fundamentals. So the crowd's getting a little antsy at this time. So then what happened was he said, I want the highest leap. Give me the biggest leap you got in the crowd. Give me the highest leaper. A guy by the name of Gus Hodge, he's about six foot six. He comes down and a doctor shakes his hand and he says, uh, so Gus, do me a favor. Touch the net with two hands. Gus goes and touches the net with two hands. He said, Gus, touch the backboard with two hands. Gus touches the backboard with two hands. The look on Gus's face is like, man, this is nothing. He said, Gus, touch the rim. Wait to hear this. He said, Gus, touch the rim with two hands. Gus touches the rim. He got his shoulders out, like, you know, he like he's he's all that. Mm -hmm. Then Doc said, Okay, Gus, do me a favor. Touch the net two hands without bending your knees. The crowd's like, What? <laughs> he said, Touch the backboard two hands without bending your knees. Think about it. And then he goes, Touch the rim two hands without bending your knees. Of course, Gus couldn't do it. And Doc, at that specific moment, grabbed two balls. Now, if you guys, you guys got the computer, you guys can go look. In the 1976 All-Star game, where he's going against David Thompson, Josh Gervin, Alice Gilmore, Larry Keenan, Donnell Hillman, the whole crew, he does his exact dunk. What he does, he goes up with one hand, boom, other hand, boom, two hands with two balls without bending his knees. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, the crowd goes absolutely berserk. <laughs> so then he goes, all right, give me the five or six best players in the building. So everybody's, you know, looking, looking, and they're all, they're all nudging me, they're nudging me. And uh, I go down there. So we all go to half court, and <clears throat> we get to meet him. That's when I saw how big his hands were. His hands were extremely huge. Now, mind you, there's 5,000 people there, so I'm nervous. I mean, <clears throat> in my high school career, I think – the biggest crowd I might have played in front of was maybe a thousand. So there's five thousand people there, <clears throat> and this place is packed. And um, so we're all nervous. Matter of fact, one of the guys who was playing was a guy I was referring to before, Dave Lato, who was the head coach of DePaul. Mm -hmm. Now, <clears throat> anyway, um, so the first guy goes up, and Dr. J hits two jump shots, bang bang. The second guy goes up, Dr. J hits two shots, bang bang. Now it's my turn. I said, okay. Now, I was known as a defensive ball player. So I go up. I'm, I'm D'ing him up as high as I possibly can. He takes a jump shot. It hits the back of the rim. I grab the rebound. I go to the left corner. I go. I do one of my spin moves behind the back. I do a left-hand hook, and I missed it. Mm -hmm. He gets the rebound. He goes, because at that time, you had to clear the shot. Games were the two. You had to clear the shot. He went to the mid-range between the foul line and the top of the key. He takes a jump shot. He misses the ball hits the back of the rim. Now, mind you, I see the ball coming in my hands. I focus on it. I see it. All of a sudden, you see this big hand snatch the ball, <laughs> goes and does a 360 oh. dunk, and the place goes, forget it. Everybody stood up going nuts. And you're trying <laughs> so to figure out what happened at this point still, right? Exactly. <laughs> it, it was crazy. So then uh, a couple other guys, he dunked on them. And then what he did was, after that, what he did was, 
he grabbed, he told everybody, come on down. Everybody, come down. Everybody, everybody got in a semicircle. And he proceeded to do every single imaginable dunk that you can imagine. Only dunk he did not do was the one from the foul line because there was too many people. But he, he performed every possible dunk you could imagine. And he stood there and gave <clears throat> autographs. I wrote an article about it. You guys can read it when you guys get a chance. Where's it? Where's that article located there, Mike? All you got to do is Google A Day with Dr. J. Uh, it was written by me. Um, so I wrote about the whole experience playing against him. And uh, again, for a guy like that to come uh, down to New Bedford, Mass, and put on a great show that he did uh, was absolutely phenomenal. And uh, <clears throat> to this day, I, I still, you know, I talk about it like it happened yesterday. It, it's, it's phenomenal. Uh, again, I've been blessed. Yeah, you painted a beautiful picture. Like when you're explaining the the part where you're waiting, you're anticipating this rebound just falling into your hands, like probably just a regular day at the office, right? Like just a routine rebound, and exactly. then and then it, next thing you know, you're getting 360 dunk <laughs> shot. Like at least you got a rebound earlier. I wouldn't have been able to do that, Michael. And and the fact is, at least I was able to get a, a rebound and, and have a, a chance to go and score against him, which and I you didn't. contested a shot. Yeah. Oh, I definitely. Oh, don't no doubt. He missed two shots against me too. By the way, I'm the only one that he missed two shots against. But um, yeah, it was a great, it was a great honor and a great privilege. Um, and <clears throat> it, it it carried on to you know um, other players that I I became really <clears throat> familiar with uh, Jojo White from the Celtics, Dennis Johnson from. Okay. The, I can go on and on, but we I know we want to go into other topics, but we got to have you on again to talk about some of these I other. I mean, oh, we, yeah. we got to do this again. I, just talking about three legends right now, and you got other ones. You just mentioned JoJo White, who's one of the most winningest players in NBA history. So that's got to be that's going to be a good story as well. But I got Mike, a better one. I got even a better one. I got Red Owl back. Red, okay, yeah. Let's uh, we'll we'll book you on and come talk about these guys <laughs> and, and, again. And, and, and that's a personal experience. I got one with Larry Bird. I got oh, a personal experience. That's awesome. Yes, yes, yes. That, I, I've yeah. been fortunate. Steven, you could it could be a whole show just on Boston Celtics. Like. That's right. That's one team, <laughs> and a couple of Sixers too, right? So, and a Nick. So all the all your you know Northeastern teams there, right? So that that's really cool. So Michael, with all of your your wealth of experience that you have, you know, you say you've been blessed. It sounds like it. You know, definitely happy to have you on and sharing your experiences here on the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio. I th I thought it would be you know imperative on my end just to ask you some questions about the way the game used to be not not necessarily to slam the game today because you know as a as a basketball lifer and a historian right like you you've seen different styles of play coaching you know the way that the the professionals conduct themselves on and off the court things like that i would i'm just curious to see not necessarily what you don't like about the game today but maybe some of the things that you miss from from the era of, you know, your, your tinies, your Dr. J's, your Patrick Ewing's. Uh, that's a very good question. You know, I go back to 1969, you know, when I was like 10 years old, going back to the library, looking up microfilm and the games <clears throat> went on. They weren't even on TV then. I remember <clears throat> I had to stay up till like 11 o'clock to watch um, sports channel on um, channel five. But, um, the things that that I reflect on the way the games used to be played was, first of all, you knew all the players. I mean, you knew, I knew, I could tell you every 
play on every team. And back then there was only eight teams back then. So you got, you kind of got to know the players a little bit more uh, personally, if you ask me. And uh, you know, the biggest thing that I, I, I take away from the, the olden days was the rivalries. Uh, the Celtics in Philadelphia back then, you had Russell going against Chamberlain. Uh, two guys really hated each other on the court. Off the court, they loved each other. But on the court, they really, you know, the, the rivalries. And the basic thing that to this day is the biggest difference from the old days to the new is the fundamentals. Now, back then, a lot of the guys didn't have the athleticism that they have nowadays. So they had to rely on the, on the basic fundamentals. And they were taught the basic fundamentals by the, the, the old-time coaches. So you had the, a more or uh, less of like the basic fundamental and the, the rivalries made the games even more interesting. And <clears throat> they played more the inner city. Like, for example, the East Coast teams played more games against the East Coast. And the West Coast teams played more games against the, the West Coast, which developed more of a rivalry. Mm-hmm. And I, I found that to be very interesting uh, back in the day. And again, too, the fact is there were less fouls called. I mean, the game was more rough. I mean, more rough and tough. And and the, the players just played hard. They played harder. And the game was more physical. But you got you got to earn everything you got. You know, where, where the game is today. Nowadays, you know, everything's geared toward the offense. Just like in football, same thing. A lot of things are geared toward the offensive. You know, scoring a lot of points. And they try to make things easier uh, for the offense. You know I mean? I'm a referee also, by the way. Mm-hmm. I've been refereeing for about a year, so I know about all the rule changes. And but going back to again to the to the old ways, it just seemed. And you know what's good? I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna try to give you guys an analogy. When you, well, maybe not when you guys were younger, but when most people were younger, you know, um, you go to a movie, you go to the movie theater, and and what was the movie theater? Big screen, mm-hmm. so the players became larger than life. Do you know what I'm saying? Whereas now, if things watered down, there's 500 cable channels. There's this, there's that, there's that. Whereas back in the day, you had games were on. Uh, they were tape delayed back then. Matter of fact, uh, if you recall, I don't know if you guys recall, but when the Lakers uh, played against uh, Philadelphia in a championship game, that game was tape delayed. Mm-hmm. That game was tape delayed. So, th- to answer your question, um, the, to me, the way. The old guys played, older guys played, was the way it was meant to be played because they didn't have the athleticism and the uh, the game has evolved, of course, with all the, you know, the the technology, uh, the training, all the things that have happened that, that we have nowadays. They really didn't have that back in the day. So, again, they relied upon uh, the fundamentals. And if you ever watch games of the olden, olden days, they ran plays so uh, – almost damn near to perfection. You know what I mean? We had Red Al back and all those great coaches back in the day. They stressed us so much. And, and again, I, I can't tell you that Red Al back story, but that, that week that I was with him, you, you listened to him and he always stressed the fundamentals. I mean, to me, that's the biggest difference from old days to now. Okay. Good stuff. Jerry, do you got a question? Yeah, just real quick when mentioning the coaching part, I'm really interested to to get it from you because there are a lot of, you know, relatively good, solid coaches now in the league nowadays, uh, IQ guys, good play callers that in due time, a lot of them will cement their legacies as really great basketball coaches. But kind of going back to previous years, you mentioned a guy, Red Arback, other guys like Pat Riley, a guy who made his career beforehand. Of course, he still coaches today, Greg Popovich. What kind of 
uh, is it attitude or something else? What sets apart uh, pr uh, previous coaches in terms of making themselves, you know, larger than life? You know, because like you said, not just were, were the players larger than life, a lot of a good amount of the coaches were like, what, what is this aura that older coaches had that it's harder to find in a few of the newer coaches now? To me, that's very easy. Respect. It's without question respect. A lot of the young coaches today really don't have as good as a resume as the older coaches have. A lot of coaches have been in the game for a lot of years. A lot of them have played in the game, like Larry Brown. I'll give you an example. Guys mm -hmm. who have played in the ABA, guys who have played in the NBA, guys who have, have known the game for so many years and who have learned from who taught them how to coach the game. Now they bring it to the players uh, that they coach. Uh, but to answer your question, there are a lot of great coaches right now. But what makes things difficult nowadays, especially in the NBA today, you have very little practice time. You have right with the COVID, you have very little practice time. So really, coaches can't really know what happens. Coaches coach. They mm -hmm. don't teach. Back in the day, they taught. You know what I'm saying? They they taught. Now, you, you have very little practice time. It's more, you're, you're in the film room all day. You're in the film room. You're watching film. You're breaking down film. You're breaking down tendencies. You're breaking down the offense. You're breaking down the defense. It's all film. It's all film where back in the day, you had more practice time. Uh, you didn't have back-to-back -back games as much, uh, and you had a lot more time to concentrate. And there wasn't as many players on the team as well. So a lot of players got to, to experience uh, a lot more practice, and, uh, and they got to, to uh, learn their craft a little bit better. And again, another thing, too, about the old days, which I forgot to bring up, which is the most important thing, is continuity and, mm. and the, the fluidity of the game. You had the same players on the same team for years. Right. So you got to know, look, look I don't want to bring back the subjects again, but you had Russell, you had Tommy Heinsohn, you had Havlicek, you had Sam Jones, you had Casey Jones, guys who played all the years. The Knicks, you can go back to the Knicks. A lot of teams had players who played four, five, six years on the same team. You don't find that nowadays, very rarely. And then you develop that continuity, continuity and, and you also develop chemistry, team chemistry. With these guys moving left and right, uh, there's a lack of team chemistry. That's why you see teams not clicking as well today as they did back in the day. Yeah, and I was going to make it a point to ask you, I have it here in my notes, I was going to ask you about the player movement. Obviously, it's more rampant now than what we see. And you know, there's different philosophies and lines of thinking, you know, whether it's good for the game, whether it's bad. But definitely, you know, as you're saying, back with the Celtics, with Casey and all those guys, you had that you had that more elongated continuity. Now their careers probably didn't last as long as what we're seeing some of the guys do today. But that goes back to what you were saying earlier, Michael. Is there wasn't as much you know science and nutrition and stuff like that being practiced back then as there is now. In the game, it was a little bit more rough and tumble then too. So you know, sustain sustaining injuries and stuff like that probably played a large part in that as well, um, Michael. So I really I'm curious to ask you this because. You know, I, I'm 30, Jurgen. You're younger than me, so wow. what what we what we see in the NBA now, you know, and rightfully so. A lot of these, uh, a lot of the players now, are kind of using their voices for things outside the basketball court, and we they they it gets talked about a lot, and and rightfully so. A lot of these guys are doing great work, but what I don't hear a lot of is kind of what players used to do, and it almost feels like there is a little bit of animosity or um disdain for what what's perceived to be and it may just be born out of ignorance right the the lack of players doing it then uh it's not really spoken about a lot from from that older generation so michael for someone who studied the game as long as you have 
I would be curious to kind of hear some of your take and insight as to how some, like the social injustice movement and things like that were handled in, in years past compared to the NBA now. Oh man. Now this is right up my alley guys. You're going, you're going, you're going to love this. <clears throat> um, right now, you know, what I, what I like to do, uh, because I am a historian, I do not want people to forget the things that they went through in the past. Mm-hmm. I'm going to bring back a couple of, I'm going to bring back a couple of things. I'm going to bring it to you in this way. Okay. Do you realize that there were more things done off the court than there were done on the court to improve the game? You guys have any idea what I'm talking about? No, sir. Please indulge us. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm going I'm to try to uh, <clears throat> give you guys a little something to think about. Okay. I'm going to give you four things that changed the game from back in the day to now. Uh, the very f- first one was a Will Chamberlain, and I'll tell you why. You guys, you ever see that little designated circle underneath the basket? Yes, sir. Okay. That's the reason. There's a reason behind that. That was because mm-hmm. Will Chamberlain dominated the game so much that they tried to do something to um, inhibit him from scoring as many points as he did. That was number one. Number two was Lou Alcindor, um, because Lou Alcindor dominated the game in such a way that they took away the dunk. The dunk was outlawed uh, in the NCAA for a lot of years because of Lou Alcindor. Those are two things that were done on the court. Now, check this out. There were two things done off the court that made a major difference. And I'm going to give you guys name. You guys can look them up. Uh, Oscar Robinson. Yes, sir. is known for the, the, the man with, uh, <clears throat> you know, scoring, rebounding, assists. Uh, he was famous for that. He was a phenomenal scorer. But things that he did were more important off the court. For example, what they did was back in the day, and I'm, I'm going to keep it 100% with you guys, uh, the players were treated like slaves. All players, everybody, they were all treated like slaves. And Oscar Robinson is the one that went to the court system through the courts to make it so uh, the players can, uh, because what the owners did back in, in them days is they wanted to have total control of the players. So they couldn't go anywhere else. They couldn't make any more money or they couldn't, even if they got off, they couldn't go anywhere. So Oscar Robinson took it upon himself uh, to bring it to court. And what happened was um, they ended up coming with what, what they now call the free agency rule. Uh, which is to have a place that can go. They can not only have to be uh, stationary on one team, they can go elsewhere to, to improve their their uh, financial uh, plot in life. Mm-hmm. That was number one. Number two, which might be the biggest one, uh, which plays a part right now, was Spencer Haywood. Spencer Haywood, if you guys can look him up, another phenomenal player. He's got a book out right now. But Spencer Haywood, what he did, he uh, grew up, down south, and uh, he was uh, born in the cotton fields. And they took him. Uh, he was a great uh, basketball player. They ended up um, recruiting him and signing him to the University of Detroit. But at, at the University of Detroit, what they did was they made him take courses like badminton. I mean, some dad so easy to pass. So he didn't get a true education. So what he did, he said, look, I could either – stay in college and not get a, a very important degree, or I can try to make myself money in the, at that time, professional basketball. Mm-hmm. So again, what happened was they took it to court 
And what uh, developed from that thing was what they now call <clears throat> uh, the hardship rule. And the hardship rule is basically saying that you, if you can prove that you have a hardship in college, you can go to the professional ranks without graduating from college. Now, this is back in 1968. Mm. So you could go and and make a, a living playing a sport that you love. And that, again, that transpired off the course. So those four things changed the outmake, outlook of the game. And uh, uh, that that made it play a major part in, in the uh, historical aspect of it. So in, in my eyes, what I like to do is I like to talk about uh, the history of the game. Uh, I like to talk about, you know, uh, Red Auerbach again, but I don't, but he he played a, a real major role uh, in the NBA, but I guess I'll, I'll say that for another show. But Red Auerbach was a real uh, important part because you got to remember, guys, back in the 60s and early 70s, there was race riots. There was racial tension. Uh, you had just come off the Muhammad Ali situation. You had <clears throat> was a whole racial unrest and think about it. Red Auerbach named a black guy, Bill Russell, as captain of the Celtics. Hmm. Not only did he name him captain, he named him a coach. Think about it. 1968-69, during that era of racial unrest unrest and craziness, this guy went against everything that people told him and he named Bill Russell head coach. Who would have thought of doing something like that back in the day. You know what I mean? And then another thing about Bill Russell was he had just won the championship, left the Boston Garden, and came home to find his house on fire across Mm -hmm. on his front lawn and his house on fire with his daughter in it. So those are things that I try to keep the memory alive. I got so many other stories I can tell, but those are things that keep me going as far as, you know, bringing up the history of the game and to let the, the, the new guys <clears throat> to never forget. And that's why it's so important that, do you believe there was a guy in the N, uh, NBA, and the ABA, played 15 years and uh, he died not too long ago and he ended up absolutely broke. The ABA, NBA never did anything for this guy. And like so many other players uh, that, you know, set set the tone for the NBA players to have what they have right now. And I have to give a big shout out and a big hug uh, to Chris Paul. Chris Paul is the one who is the head of the Players Association who went to um, the NBA and made the point, not just him, again, uh, something that's done off the court. Mm -hmm. He made a thing whereby the players, the old players can be compensated I mean, they probably should get more, but I think it's up to $1.8 million, um, not per player, but uh, that's in the part for the, the the former players who some of them can't even pay for their house. Some have can't pay for their electric or their car. You know what I mean? Some can't pay for the medical expenses. So things like of that nature is what I, I continually try to um, uh, speak upon. I know yeah. you have some other questions you want to ask, so I don't want to go into detail oh. on that. No, Michael, like in all honesty, you, Jerg, he, he's same. we're kind of like-minded in this aspect. We, we could not hear enough basketball. Really? And I just, I thought it would be appropriate, one, with just kind of 
you know, this this new wave of players now who I'm sure you'd give them credit for all the things that they're doing, obviously, right? But I think it's important to preserve, like you said, that memory of, you know, the the foundation that was laid for these players to even do, to even have a voice right now that they can go in front of a camera and, and you know, and, and freely speak and uh, speak out against injustice and have, you know, have right. the, the financial backing in order to support it as well. And, exactly. uh, you know, to help out with these causes. So that's why, and obviously too, with it being Black History Month and, you know, the NBA is doing everything that it can to, you know, try to reach out to, you know, the HBCUs and things like that. I just thought it would be appropriate just to kind of speak, you know, having a historian such as yourself kind of speak on some of the things that happened, you know, back then in in the older generation. So, but thank you so much for that, Michael. That was, that was really enlightening. I learned a lot just from that little 10 minute, um, you know, dissertation that you gave on, on how it was. then. Thank you. Yeah. So, um, we had a whole bunch of other stuff, Michael, but I really want to I really want to pick your brain real quick before we close okay, out. Sure. We have we have a segment that we do at the end called Pastor Shoot, and uh, we want to get your take on this. And you know, obviously, you being a historian, the first one that I want to lead off with, uh, Michael Pastor Shoot. So pass means you don't buy it; shoot means you do buy it, right? So um, Pastor Shoot with Joel Embiid and you know, Nikola Jokic being, you know, probably top three, top four in MVP voting. Do you think that some semblance of it, the NBA big man is back? You know something? If you had asked me that about two, three years ago, I would say no way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but due to uh, the, the individual you just named, uh, the big man is on its way back. I won't say it's sufficiently back yet. But to see these big men, 6'11", 7 feet, uh, extending the defense, hitting the perimeter jump shot, uh, great passing, the way these guys pass the ball now. I think uh, the big man's uh, – his role was more minimized, uh, I would say, within the last 10 years. The, right. the big man's role has been minimized because what they've been doing, they've been spreading the floor, letting the forwards and the, and the guards, you know, predominate uh, the ball and, and dominate the ball and – uh, be more of uh, the scoring type where the, the big man was almost sorry saw was way out because now they call it stretch four, stretch five. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So they kind of almost took them out the game. But because of the resurgence of these big men nowadays, I mean, I think the big man is getting back. And what's good, too, is the younger players, they're, they're looking at this, they're observing this, and they're going to be trying to do the same thing. And that's going to be able to, to potentially uh, change their career. You know what I mean? Uh, now the game before it was always you know develop a post up move, you know drop step, you know left hand hook, right hand hook, the Josh Mikey moves. Now the game has changed; it's evolved. So the big man now has to be more mobile. Uh, he has to be more mobile offensively as well as defensively. And I think yes, to answer your question, the big man is on its way back. And I and with the new influx of uh, college big men that I've been watching uh, last couple of years, it's going to definitely. Uh, improve and i think it's a, a good future for the, the the big man in the nba excellent excellent jurgen real quick what do you think pass or shoot the big man is on its way back i'll run with shoot like he said i think it, it's obviously a different look it's a different model but when you have guys like Embiid and Jokic, two guys who are going to be on consistent playoff teams we believe for years to come that uh, that's going to play a big role in what young players are seeing nowadays like from the middle and high school levels like they get influenced by the professional game more so now than the college game 
And to see bigs like that dominating, it's going to influence a couple kids that get some growth spurts uh, as they get older. Yeah, and I'm running with shoot as well. And then I would also include the fact that a guy who can't really shoot but still has a huge impact on the game and Rudy Gobert, the fact that he can get the contract extension that he had, proving that he is just as valuable to his team defensively as what a lot of other point or you know centers that we see now with Jokic, with Embiid, are proving themselves to be as important on the offensive end. Rudy Gobert is still he's evolving too and what doesn't get talked about enough is his footwork you know his defensive footwork the fact that he can switch out onto a smaller player a forward or a guard and keep them in front of him to where they can't penetrate where other centers don't have that level of footwork or you know hand-eye coordination and mobility that he has is highly undervalued it doesn't get talked about a lot and uh, even guys like Darko Milicic are trying to you know pick at pick at our man Rudy Gobert but I think the big man is on its way back. And it in Michael, you could probably speak on this if we have more time, but it just it it seems <laughs> it seems like it, it's kind of raising back for where we grew up. They there was a lot of big men. You had your Duncans, you had your Shaqs, you had all you know, KG, Dirk, like you had all these big men, and then it phased into, you know, more the the point guards or, or the shooting guards, and then it turned into the forwards, and now it's going back into the big. So it's just kind of mm-hmm. cool to see the the wavelength of time. But um, Michael, just thank you so much for the the, the history lesson. Uh, Jerry, how do you feel about that? Did you do you learn a lot? I learned a lot, like the, some of those stories, especially like uh, I try to learn as much about NBA history as I can. I remember times in middle and high school, like even during my breaks from school, I would s- literally search up past players and past events and just read up about them to try to learn as much as I could about the game and to hear some of the stuff that he talked about, especially with what happened with Bill Russell. I didn't know about that. And I, myself, I'm a huge fan of the, the athlete activist as it was a term that I learned while in college while doing a paper for, and to have uh, heard about that, what happened to Bill Russell, a guy whose voice means so much uh, to the game nowadays. Like it's crazy. I, I never, I never heard anything about that at all. Uh, Unfortunately, I lived through it. So, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, you know, another reason, too, I don't want to, you know, I know you guys, uh, the show's going to end. But um, as I was talking about the race riots uh, here in New Bedford, uh, my sister got shot during the race riots. So, you know what I mean? I, I, it, it, it's kind of personal. You know what I mean? I take I take the fact about the history uh, very personal as far as the, 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 the sports aspect. And also... Um, you know, just trying to keep their memory alive, you know what I mean? And, and you know, what really made a big difference is sitting down with Red Auerbach. I mean, how many people, I mean, I picked his brain for the whole week. I got invited to the subjects camp uh, uh, my sophomore year in college. I got invited to participate in the, in the subjects rookie camp. That year was uh, Dudley Bradley from the University of North Carolina. That was the year before Len Bias uh, went to the camp, by the way. Mm. And so I got to, to spend the whole week with Red Auerbach, and, I mean, I just love the old stories. I, I, I had, I, I picked his brain and, and I'm, I, I love the guy for what he did and what he, what he accomplished. And, you know, uh, I, I noticed there's not too many people talk about the history of the game. They talk about the guys making 50 million a year and all that. But, um, I look back at what transpired back in the day to make it easy for these players nowadays to recoup and, and benefit from all the things that the older guys have done. You know what I mean? So that's that's my job, my job, and that's why I continue to do, and that's what I'm gonna do for as long as I can uh, do it. You know, it's important to me. I think it should be important to a lot of people 
because th these people have forgotten and the NBA would not be where it is today if it wasn't for people like who suffered and sacrificed uh, for the uh, for the future players. And that's what they said back in the day. They didn't do it just for themselves. Oscar Robinson didn't do what he did for himself. He did mm -hmm. for future players. So Absolutely. those are things that I'm very interested in. So and I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that you guys give me the opportunity to uh, express my opinion. Absolutely, Michael. And just uh, we y'all yeah, speak for Jurgen Austin as well. He he was really sorry that he couldn't come tonight. I know he was really looking forward to this conversation. But you know, we we just appreciate your transparency, how genuine of a spirit you are here here on our show, and you know, just the enthusiasm that you tell these stories with. You you literally paint a picture in our minds. You know, I'm sure the the audience that's listening right now that can't you know see your facial expressions or you know how you were you know positioning yourself to collect a rebound that happened, you know, several <laughs> years back, you know, I'm sure everyone who's listening right now could, could easily have that picture, you know, uh, yeah. painted in their mind. And you're, you, you have a beautiful way of telling a story. I can't wait to go back and read your a day with Dr. J article that you said that you said, and I would encourage anybody listening or watching right now, please go do that. But, um, Michael, on behalf of Jerg, on behalf of Austin for breaking the game for the nothing but net channel here on dash radio, I just want to thank you so much, sir, for your time. You're a true gem. As the kids today would say, you're a real one. Just want to thank you so much. <laughs> just want to thank you so much for your time today. And uh, if you just would real quick, just let the people know where they could find you. Um, they can find me on, on my email. Uh, they can find me. On, I'm on the uh, ASAP network. Okay. Um, uh, I'm, I'm in fact, I'm on tomorrow night. Uh, and again, they give me 20 minutes. And all I do is talk about the history of the NBA game. That's awesome. They give me about 20 minutes. At the end of every show, uh, they give me about 20 minutes, 25 minutes to talk about the history of the NBA. So that, that keeps me going on. Uh, uh, that keeps me really uh, interested, too. Excellent stuff. Well, um, everybody, just uh, thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in, viewing, and listening. We have a very special guest, Michael Consacio, a true basketball historian. Anybody who listened to this show, I, I challenge you to go look up the 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 stat that, that Michael posed earlier. We tried to guess if it was Dr. J, if it was Moses. We're stumped now. Um, who basically won a, a medal at every level. You know, we're talking high school, we're talking college, we're talking pros, ABA, NBA. Anywhere that basketball that a basketball was dribbled, this gentleman succeeded at. And uh, you know, if you want to come back, you can message me at Stephen BTG on Twitter. You can follow the show at BTG NBA Pod on Instagram and Twitter, and get back to us with that answer. But um, Michael, thank you so much. Jerg, thank you so much. Uh, this has been the Break in the Game show here on the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio. We're here every Monday and Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. Please go to offtheballnetwork.com where you can check out all of our written work. We will catch up with you guys next time. Gentlemen, thank you guys so much. Much love, everybody. Thank you. Thank you.